But today for us in here, we're continuing our study in the book of Exodus, and today is the second half of our two-week character study of Pharaoh and his stubborn heart. Last week, we covered chapters 7 and 8 in the first 12 characteristics of stubbornness that we saw in the text there. And today we're going to look at chapters 9 and 10 and the remaining 18 characteristics. I did find a few more as I studied this week, 18 of them. And some of you have found points as well. I invited you to share any insights that you came across. And I appreciated Lauren emailing me last Sunday evening, Lauren Beckner. Uh, he shared these four points. A stubborn heart blames their problems on others. It ignores their sin as part of the problem. It thinks ignoring an issue will eventually solve it or that it will fix itself. And finally, it waits until the pain becomes unbearable before taking action. Excellent points. We see all of these things to be true in Pharaoh and in stubbornness and true to what we see in ourselves. We remind ourselves often that we study the Old Testament because the lessons and the truths here were written for us. If we were pirates, we would say, dead men don't read their own tales. But we're not pirates, but it's still true. The Bible was not written for Pharaoh at that time. These records are given for us and for us to pass on to our children and their children. And if we will take time to but look carefully and sincerely through the Scriptures, we will find a wealth of wisdom and instruction. This portrait of a stubborn heart is not the prettiest picture we've ever seen. But like we saw in the book of James, these truths are the guardrails of life. They protect us. They're here to benefit us and to guide us through life. There is much good and joy to be found from them. So to get our gears going again this morning, let's review the first 12 characteristics of stubbornness from last week. Number one, we saw from Pharaoh and we saw in the words of Scripture that a stubborn heart wants to prove that the world is just as good as God. A stubborn heart refuses to listen to God, refuses to obey Him. It could care less when it experiences the consequences of sin. It causes discomfort and even disgust. It lies to get what it wants, which in particular is relief from the consequences of sin. And I would add, it wants to continue enjoying the momentary pleasures of sin. We see that a stubborn heart even ignores the wise counsel of its friends. And it ignores the obvious protection God provides to those who follow Him. Stubbornness devastates its resources. It negotiates with God, which is partial obedience. We're going to see that a number of times again today. It ignores the spectacular workings of God and develops a pattern of habitual lying. In stubbornness, one lie leads to another. We know this to be true. And all of these things we see were clearly demonstrated by Pharaoh, who God described in chapter 7 as a man who had a stubborn heart. What a label to receive by the high king, from the high king of heaven. This man is stubborn. Let's bow our heads again and ask God to guide us as we look at the next two chapters. Heavenly Father, none of us wants to be like Pharaoh. 
we recognize that stubbornness toward God, stubbornness toward what is right, will only yield pain and sorrow. And yet, it is so easy to hang on to it. We excuse it. We justify it. We ignore it. And yet, Lord, we know that these things do not honor you. They do not bless ourselves. They don't bless those around us. So, Lord, give us a heart and a view that is bigger than ourselves. It sees the needs of others. And, Lord, uh, give us a heart that longs to please you. Let us not be found as a man or woman who is stubborn all their days, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue our character study now in chapter 9, and, and like I mentioned last week, I am going to read quickly because we, we, want to, we, we just read all of this text together just a few weeks ago, and I'd like to get us quickly to each of these points on stubbornness, all 18 of them. And I do encourage you to take notes to help engage your mind this morning and help to seal this stuff in your memory, but if your hand tires out, no worries. We do have all these points printed out in the foyer. You're welcome to grab one on the way out today. Okay, first, verse 1 of chapter 9 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and speak to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will come with a very severe pestilence on your livestock which are in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the herds, on the flocks. Remember, this is just one of several plagues. Several have already happened. We're partway through. It says, But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing will die of all that belongs to the sons of Israel. The Lord set a definite time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the sons of Israel... Not one died. Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Picking up with point number 13 in our list. A stubborn heart learns that God is more powerful than expected and still rejects him. Pharaoh couldn't believe that God could or would kill all the Egyptians' livestock, but not one of Israel's. So he sent his servants to see if that's what really happened, and it had. And much to Pharaoh's surprise, this God of Israel was more amazing than Pharaoh thought possible, but he still refused to obey God. Verse 8, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of soot from a kiln, this is the ash from a fireplace, you could say. And let Moses throw it toward the sky in the sight of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beast through all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from a kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it toward the sky and it became boils breaking out with sores on man and beast. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians as well as on all the Egyptians. Point 14, a stubborn heart would rather be sick and cause others to suffer than obey God. This just goes to show the depth of resistance that a stubborn heart will sink to if we let it. Our health is one of our greatest assets. 
It resembles life itself. And we're reminded here that stubbornness is a sickness and death-causing agent. As we mentioned last week, it sucks the life right out of us and those around us. Verse 12, And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Point number 15, A stubborn heart is always subject to the sovereign will of God. God was in control during the plagues, even of Pharaoh. The verse says, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, some of you were hoping we would stop and drill down a little on this verse. Some were hoping we wouldn't. But this, this is a very difficult passage. It's one that brings us face to face with the sovereignty slash free will debate. This verse has perplexed many Christians over the centuries and theologians as well. But a careful contextual exegesis of this passage reveals what the original text really meant, and that is that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Let's step back for a moment and remind ourselves of some of the tried and proven principles for handling difficult passages like this. How can God harden the heart of someone? There are many study principles, but here are several that apply here. Number one, we don't conform Scripture to our theology. We conform our theology to Scripture. This is something that we must remind ourselves often of because who doesn't naturally want to defend their position? We as Christians must have a much loftier goal than that, and that is to defend the Word of God. We don't conform Scripture to our theology. We conform our theology to Scripture. Because we know well that when taken out of context and when taken loosely, we can make Scripture say just about anything we want it to. Next point, we remember that God is greater than our capacity to fully understand Him. There are things about the person of God that we will not understand this side of glory because the Word and the Spirit simply have not fully revealed them. We need to be okay with the fact that God is no, in no way confined to our limited mental capacity. Just because we don't understand something about God does not mean that it does not exist. Letter C. Scripture will never contradict itself. The Bible teaches God's sovereignty clearly, and it also clearly teaches man's personal responsibility. That means that they both exist, regardless of whether we understand how it all works. Now, one might say, yes, but sovereignty and personal responsibility can't exist together. They are intrinsically contradictory. No, it just mean that, means that God sovereignly gives us personal responsibility. And if and when He so chooses to override our responsibility or our willpower or our choice or whatever we want to call it, if He chooses to override or direct it for His good purposes, He is completely authorized to do so. And He is just and right in doing it. Why? The answer in the ten plagues, the ten plagues give us the answer. It is because He is God. 
If you think the issue of God hardening Pharaoh's heart is a difficult one to wrap your mind around, just go to the 10th plague and remind yourself that God slayed all the firstborn of Egypt in one night. That is a far more difficult ethical issue to address than God hardening Pharaoh's heart. How could God take the life of all those innocent firstborn children and infants? That's a very sincere question, but it's the wrong question. I mean, for one, no one is innocent. According to Romans 6.23 and many other passages, the wages of sin is death for everyone. But still, at the fundamental level, the question, how could God take all those lives, is an incorrect approach to the subject matter. And an invalid approach always yields, yields an invalid result, a wrong conclusion. Letter D, ask the right questions. So the big picture question we often hear, how could a good God do that? Or perhaps the more pointed question, how could a loving God do that or allow that to happen? What's the problem with these questions? Letter E, they set man up as the judge of God. The problem is that man is not even capable of taking the bench and judging the character and behavior of the Almighty. So the question is fully invalid. The better approach would be to say something like, since God is holy and perfect and righteous in all He does, let's see how God was holy and righteous in doing this or in allowing such and such to happen. That is man affirming the character of God that God has already authoritatively claimed for Himself. If God is holy and right in all He does, then the challenging question, how could a good God do that, is an invalid question because it not only makes man the judge of God's character and behavior, it also assumes that God is sinning or that God potentially sins. If He were a good God, He wouldn't do that. You and I would have to know everything in the universe to even make such a statement. Do we understand that we would have to know everything about God, everything about good and evil, everything about the situation, everything about this life and the next, and on top of that, we would have to be perfectly holy and righteous to be able to authoritatively judge and say, a good God would never do that. Such a bold statement assumes that the individual has both knowledge and virtue superior to God Himself. At worst, excuse me, at best, that would be ignorance. At worst, it is insanity and pride. So to even try to answer those types of how could a good God questions is futile. There is no proper answer possible. Here's an analogy. It's like a parent lovingly disciplining their child and then the child yelling back at the parent, why do you hate me so much? And then the parent lovingly trying to explain to the child why they hate them so much. <laughs> that the premise of the question does not even exist. They don't hate the child. They love the child. 
all that can be done is to deny the question in its entirety and start over from a different perspective. So we learn that man is not to judge God. We are to affirm what God has already authoritatively stated about Himself and His creation in His Word. Last point here. A better question would be, why did a good God do that? That is man learning from God rather than judging Him. We can read the book of Job for a massive divine lecture on how to learn from God. In this instance in Exodus, one could wrongly say, God can't harden someone's heart because that would violate free will or personal responsibility. Again, that is man pitting one scriptural truth against another scriptural truth. We do not do that. It is better to start with, I don't think I understand this. That is man humbling himself before God. It's better to ask, how does this truth align and work together with the other truths in Scripture since they must both be true? That approach looks like this here in Exodus 9. How and why did a good God harden Pharaoh's heart? What can I learn about the nature and behavior of God? What can I learn about the nature and behavior of man? Now we're on the right track to learning from God. Very quickly, a few, a few comments on God hardening Pharaoh's heart. First, we have to observe what has been stated many times, and that is that Pharaoh was a very, very stubborn and hard-hearted man long before God hardened his heart. This is where we begin to see the light in chapter 1 of Romans. Verse 24, Therefore, speaking of the stubborn sinfulness of mankind early in the Old Testament, therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. Verse 28, And just as they did not see, listen closely, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. Sometimes when God sees fit, He gives people over to the hard, stubborn, sinful heart they wanted all along. And he is right and just to do that, if he so wills. We know that Pharaoh was unreasonably obstinate well before this point in chapter 9 in Exodus. His stubbornness was already causing the suffering and even the death of countless people and animals and even the plant life in Egypt. All the fish in the Nile were dead by chapter 7. The entire nation was already laid waste from the insects, the swarms of insects that covered the ground of all Egypt in chapter 8. And the livestock of horses, donkeys, and camels were already killed by this point in chapter 9. And all the Egyptians and their remaining livestock had already been hit with the boils. And still, not one drop of repentance from Pharaoh. Not an ounce of humility, not an ounce of obedience. And at this point, God hardens the already hardened heart. Remember, it is only by grace that we are not fully hardened as well. 
I like to look at this difficult verse this way. God simply withdrew His grace and replaced it with judgment. And He did it for His own glory and good purposes as He states right here in Exodus. So how can God do that? How can God take all the lives of the firstborn in Egypt? We could discuss this at great length. Perhaps you will summon your salt groups, and I'm happy to discuss this further with you, but for the sake of time, let me give just one answer, just one answer to the question, how could God harden his heart, and how can God take all the lives of those innocent, let's, let's cut the word, all the lives of those children and infants in the land? Here's the answer that God gave, I am the Lord. I believe with all my heart that's why God saved the 10th plague for last. There was little to no human justification for it. And God was proving not only to Pharaoh, not only to the Egyptians, but to Israel and everyone who observes, I am the Lord. I will do what I want. When we look at this, when we see this answer, we, we hear it from God all throughout the ten plagues. Christians and non-Christians like are sooner or later going to have to come to grips with the fact that the God of the universe can do whatever He wants. And whatever He wants and everything He does is right. It is righteous. It is holy. It is perfect. It is good because he is God. We could say that it's not so much that God's actions define Him, so much as He defines His actions. Everything He does is good. When we submit our minds by grace, through faith, to the reality that God will be God, then we will begin to understand the mind and the ways of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Sadly, we see that many people approach these difficult passages in Scripture with very little fear of God, very little respect for Him and who He is. They see themselves as judges of the text. What a thought that is. How could a good God do that is an invalid question. Okay, now we, we have to hurry to get through the rest of this today. But I didn't want to just gloss over this God-hardening-the-heart topic. It is too important. Like other very difficult passages to understand in Scripture, we see that these are some of the gems that best reveal the person of God to us. Verse 13, <clears throat> moving on. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For if, I by, for if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. 
Point 16, a stubborn heart does not realize that there is no one like Almighty God. That's why God is taking the time to show Pharaoh and the world and the generations to come this reality. No one is like him. Verse 17, still you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. Point 17, a stubborn heart is continually proud. Still you exalt yourself. You are still proud. That is a painful, bitter place to be, not only for the one there, but for everyone nearby, as every Egyptian was now finding out. Verse 18, Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will send a very heavy hail, such as not been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, Send, bring your livestock and whatever you have in the field to safety. Every man and beast that is found in the field and is not brought home, when the hail comes down on them, will die. We can only imagine what this hail must have been like. The, the one among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. But he who paid no regard to the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Point 18, a stubborn heart ignores God's merciful warnings. Isn't it interesting that God would warn Pharaoh and the people in the midst of this, after all this stubbornness, this refusal to listen and to obey God, God is still giving mercy. Friends, if we will but take the time to read and look for the life-saving, life-blessing, life-guiding, life-protecting, life-inspiring merciful warnings of God in Scripture, we will see that they are everywhere in this book. No less than 30 of them right here in these four chapters. And this is just from the perspective of stubbornness. You could start over and take a whole other fresh angle on this and find more truth in the Word of God. We have every reason to stand in awe of the wisdom and the truth in the Bible. There is no end to it. Verse 22, Now the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky that hail may fall on all the land of Egypt, on man and on beast and on every plant of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very severe, such as had not been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck all that was in the field through, through all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The hail also struck every plant of the field and shattered every tree of the field. Can you imagine this? Only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. Point number 19, a stubborn heart experiences some of the most severe disciplines from God. This resonates with what Lauren pointed out about stubborn hearts waiting until the pain becomes unbearable before taking action. Why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we do that to those closest to us? And most importantly, why do we do that to God? Our minds go to the verses in the next chapter, we'll look at them later, where Pharaoh's servants turn to him 
after several plagues and say, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is destroyed? Who is this book written for? We would do well to be forewarned that this is what stubbornness will do to our lives if we let it linger. Verse 27, Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. Point 20, A stubborn heart makes limited confession. Chew on that for a minute. This time I have sinned. Limited, minimal confession. Pharaoh goes on to say, the Lord is the righteous one and I and my people are the wicked ones. Make supplication to the Lord for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail and I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Isn't that an interesting phrase? You don't even have to come back. Moses said to him, as soon as I go out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be hail no longer that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. That last phrase implies that Pharaoh did not know that the earth is the Lord's. Point 21, a stubborn heart doesn't recognize divine ownership of everything. We all belong to the God who made us. He is the potter. We are the clay. Moses continued in verse 30, but as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. Whoa. Point 22. A stubborn heart eventually doesn't care that God's people can see the lying. We can only get away with lying for so long. Eventually, stubborn hearts become so hardened that once the truth does come out, they no longer care. They don't care what their family thinks. They don't care what their church thinks. They don't care what their friends think, etc. Notice that once the truth came out here, Pharaoh didn't turn and repent. He kept marching in the same direction. Point 23 also comes from this last verse. A stubborn heart doesn't fear the Lord. This would be a good place for a seven-week sermon series. Stubborn hearts have no respect no awe, no submission to the immense power and righteousness of God. If you're looking for a quick Bible study during your devotions, just go online to a Bible concordance or, or a topical Bible like openbible.info, the website, openbible.info, and do a search for the phrase, fear of the Lord. Then just read through the long list of verses that speak on the fear of the Lord. What you see there, Pharaoh did not have. What you see in those verses, stubborn people are lacking. Stubbornness and the fear of the Lord are like water and oil. They just don't go together. Verse 31, now the flax and the barley were ruined, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not ruined, for they ripened late. You know, I, I really think that that's God answering some of the object, objectors gonna, who are going to say, how, how could there even be more plants later? 
when we see things in the scripture that don't make sense, remember, we say, what can we learn from this? Not, oh, look, I can prove that God was wrong. Verse 33, so Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord and the thunder and the hail ceased and rain no longer poured on the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned again. What does that tell us about stubbornness? It's a sin. He sinned again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. Point 24, a stubborn heart is contagious. It runs in packs. It likes company. It spreads its ideas, its values, and its sentiments. This is a spiritual health warning. Be careful not to spread the disease of, of stubbornness. And be careful not to pick it up. It's contagious. Parents, let us not pass this on to our kids. Don't infect your spouse with it. Stubbornness is contagious. Verse 35, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not let the sons of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Chapter 10, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may perform these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them that you may know that I am the Lord. Point 25. A stubborn heart doesn't realize that God may display their foolishness for generations. What will your children say about you 40 years from now? What will your grandchildren hear? Unfortunately for Pharaoh... His stubborn faults are the topic of discussion in Gig Harbor 3,500 years later. God uses the faults of one to teach another. Let us not be that textbook. Verse 3, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me. Point 26, a stubborn heart refuses to be humble before God. This is an obvious one all the way through these plagues. As we're seeing in Pharaoh, the stubborn heart doesn't bow down to God. It stands up to him. What arrogant disregard for the high king of heaven. It's easier to do than one might think. This is another good point to do a concordance or, or topical Bible study on. Just sit for 10 minutes reading verse after verse that speaks on humility, the behavior of humility, the, the benefits of humility, how God responds to humility, etc. Stubborn hearts refuse to be humble before God. Verse 3 continues. Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. They shall cover the surface of the land so that no one will be able to see the land. Can you imagine such a thing for an entire country? They will also eat the rest of what has escaped, what is left to you from the hail, and they will eat every tree which sprouts for you out of the field. Just, just when they started to get some plant life back. Then your houses shall be filled and the houses of all your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians, something which neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day that they came upon the earth until this day. 
And he turned out and went out from Pharaoh. Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is destroyed? Point number nine and seven from last week. Remember, not review. We're not uh, repeating the points as we go here as we see them. But here are a couple. A stubborn heart devastates its resources. And it refuses to hear wise counsel, even from its friends. Verse 8, so Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? Moses said, we shall go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds we shall go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then Pharaoh said to them, thus may the Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Take heed, for evil is in your mind. Not so. Go now, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desire. So they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Point 27 out of 30, a stubborn heart accuses the righteous of evil motives. We're looking at blame shifting. Doesn't it leave you near speechless when someone steeped in sin and turmoil turns and blames everyone else for the problem? This isn't my fault. You caused this mess. You're the one who, etc., etc. Pharaoh was a master of these tactics. And notice, again, from last week, notice the continued negotiating with God. I'll tell you what, the men can go, but not the women and children. Verse 12, then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant of the land, even all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord directed an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled in all the territory of Egypt. They were very numerous. There had never been so many locusts, nor would there be so many again. For they covered the surface of the whole land, so that the land was darkened. And they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Thus, nothing green was left on tree or plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hurriedly called for Moses and Aaron, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once. Point 28, a stubborn heart seeks limited forgiveness. This goes hand in hand with limited confession. Limited confession seeks limited forgiveness. One of the great problems in self-identity is the idea that I'm not that bad of a person. Numerous passages, such as Romans 3, say quite the opposite particularly when we are compared to the holiness of God, and that is the standard. A mighty man or woman of God is one who sees the magnificence of their own sins and faults. Not so they can dwell on them. Self-pity is of little value. But rather so they can confess and seek the magnificence of God's forgiveness and His daily grace. One of the sure signs of stubbornness, whether public or private, is a weak and a small sense of one's need for forgiveness. Oh, that God would remind us often 
and that we would open the word often to be reminded of the immeasurable need we have for the forgiveness of God, for the daily ongoing grace of God. Pharaoh continues in verse 17, and make supplication to the Lord your God that he would only remove this death from me. He went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. So the Lord shifted the the wind to a very strong west wind, which took up the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not one locust was left in all the territory of Egypt. Imagine. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. How dark? They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be detained. The insanity Take the women, take the kids, leave the animals. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice them to the Lord our God. Therefore, our livestock too shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we shall take some of them to serve the Lord of God. And until we arrive there, we ourselves do not know with what we shall serve the Lord. Moses is just being prepared But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Beware, do not see my face again, for in the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, You are right. I shall never see your face again. Point 29. A stubborn heart distances itself from godly people for obvious reasons. Point 30. A stubborn heart becomes violent. Whether in word or deed, it is marked by outbursts of anger that harm others. So there we have it. That is not a pretty picture, is it? It's kind of overwhelming. It begs the question, why do we insist on our stubborn ways? Years Decades of being unreasonably obstinate. Again, we're not talking about determination. We're not talking about resolution, that stick-to-itness that can be excellent. We're talking about sinful stubbornness, not just with our families, our friends, etc., but ultimately with God. It is time to change. True Christians will be testimonies of grace and sanctification. Today is a good day for us to address, one at a time, the stubbornness, the areas of stubbornness in our life that we know dishonor God and others. Being aware of our stubbornness is a good place to start, a good place to confess, a good place to repent, a good place to ask forgiveness. Now is a good time to amp up our time and the quality of our time being in the Word of God. 
so that the Word can do what the Word does best, and that is it changes the heart. And out of the heart flow all the issues of life. Stubbornness flows from stubborn hearts. And God knows there's room for improvement in all of us. But as we discussed last week, turning from sin is not enough. We must turn to godliness. It is not enough to stop sinning. We need to start doing righteousness by grace. We're talking about grace-inspired and love for God and others-inspired good works. The living out of the fruit of the Spirit. Listen to this list. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are not the qualities of stubbornness. How much more beautiful that we be represented by those nine things. Let's turn our attention to something far more beautiful than what we've seen in these four chapters. Let's let our minds rest for a moment on the contrasting behaviors and the beliefs of a godly, tender, soft heart. Again, if you're interested, prints of this chart will be out in the foyer there. You're welcome to grab one on the way out. And I'll also be emailing this to the SALT groups on the community for their discussions this week. So picking up at point 13 in this list, a stubborn heart is shocked to learn that God is more powerful than expected and still rejects God. But a godly tender heart knows that God's power supersedes their wildest imagination. 14, a stubborn heart would rather be sick and cause the same in others than obey God, whereas a godly tender heart would rather be sick than disobey God. 15, a stubborn heart is always subject to the sovereign will of God. A godly tender heart recognizes that the will of God will be done. A stubborn heart doesn't re uh, realize that there is no one like Almighty God. A godly tender heart realizes that no one even comes close to God. No competition. 17, a stubborn heart is continually proud, while a godly tender heart consistently regards others as more important than self. Philippians chapter 2. A stubborn heart ignores God's merciful warnings, but a godly tender heart gratefully searches for the merciful warnings of God in His Word. 19, a stubborn heart experiences some of the most severe disciplines from God, but a godly tender heart experiences many of the greatest blessings from God. A stubborn heart makes limited confession, whereas a godly tender heart knows the value of full confession. A stubborn heart doesn't recognize divine ownership of everything. A godly tender heart rests in being owned by God. A stubborn heart eventually doesn't care that God's people can see the lying. But a godly tender heart values, and I would say seeks out, the painful but constructive input of God's people. A stubborn heart doesn't fear the Lord. A godly tender heart knows that the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. A stubborn heart is contagious. A godly tender heart is contagious. A stubborn heart doesn't realize that God may display their foolishness for generations. 
A godly, tender heart realizes that their life will impact many generations. A stubborn heart refuses to be humble before God. A godly, tender heart knows that humility is the key to God's grace. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. A stubborn heart accuses the righteous of evil motives, but a godly, tender heart assumes the best of others. A stubborn heart seeks limited forgiveness. A godly, tender heart recognizes its overwhelming need for undeserved, and you can add, and complete forgiveness. A stubborn heart distances itself from godly people. A godly, tender heart loves being with God's people. And finally, a stubborn heart becomes violent, but a godly, tender heart ministers life and health to others. Need we say any more on this subject today? We could spend much time contemplating any one of these 30 points that we found in these four chapters, what what it looks like in our own lives, which ones we struggle with in particular. We could open the Word and and find cross-references that continue to teach us on each one of these 30 points. We can identify steps that we can take to begin letting God break the hardness, etc. But you can do much of that in your own quiet time with God perhaps in your salt groups, perhaps with a, with a family member or as a family or with an accountability or Bible study partner, etc. But I want to point you to a couple of shocking scriptures as we wrap up today. The first one is Psalm 106, verse 7. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindness, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Lord willing, we're going to look at the Red Sea account in two weeks. But notice for now, the Israelites, God's own people, didn't even make it to the Red Sea before their own rebellion and stubbornness burned within them. They didn't even make it to the Red Sea. That warns us that we Even Christians have great potential to be stubborn. As someone said in our salt group this last week, when you think about it, we're all pharaohs. In various ways, to various degrees, we're all pharaohs. But now listen to God's tender heart in Psalm 81, verses 11 to 16. But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. Those were two out of the first three points we observed in our list. Pharaoh wouldn't listen, and he wouldn't obey. God turned and applied those to Israel. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. Oh, that my people would listen to me that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord, listen, would pretend obedience to him. Didn't we see that in Pharaoh? And their time of punishment would be forever. But I would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Those are amazing words. Wouldn't we rather be in that kind of blessed relationship 
with the God of heaven, our Savior, our friend, our King. Remember, God's view of stubbornness has not changed. And neither has His view of our loving obedience and humble submission toward Him. And thankfully, His loving kindness, mercy, and grace haven't changed either. Let's pray. Lord God, teach us to fear you. Teach us to echo the words of the psalmist, Oh, how I love thy law. Teach us what it means, Lord, to be humble. Even as we say these things, we recognize you are teaching us. Even as we ask for the grace to do what is right, we recognize your grace is sitting there waiting to be used. You were a faithful God. Oh, that we would be a faithful people. Oh, that we would learn not only from Pharaoh, but from Israel. How prone we are to be stubborn, to not want to listen, to let pride rear up, often in such self-righteous ways. Lord, you have taught us well that there is no good end to stubbornness. And yet you offer to protect, to feed and provide for those who listen and walk in your ways. You are the only one true God who satisfies. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for making those who repent and believe for making them your children. I pray, Lord, that if there is even one here who is not a child of God, someone who does not understand what it means to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that they would open the word and read and allow you to speak the truth to them and give them the grace, the understanding, the strength to receive the salvation that God so freely gives. Lord, help us not to be pharaohs. Help us to be honest before you. Help us to welcome the input, the counsel, the exhortation, the warning, the love of those around us. We know that your ways and your thoughts are so much higher and better than ours. We love you, Lord. In faith, we love your word. Continue to bring about good sanctification, life change in us, that we might not only experience the blessings of God and not only pass on those blessings to those especially who are nearest to us, but ultimately, Lord, that we might bring glory to your name. When stubbornness is defeated, God is glorified. Amen.